0: Hey, y'all, thanks for tuning into the We Are One podcast. This space, it's a collection of talks ranging anywhere from sermons from our ministry, creative thoughts, breakout sessions at things like We Are One Conference, as well as some inside scoops on leadership. We hope it helps you. If you want to keep up to date with everything We Are One, you can go to weareoneyouth.com or follow us on social at W-A-O-Youth. We hope you're blessed. Acts 11, the tail end of acts 11 um the front half we got to connect it to acts 10 everything that happens with peter pretty cool stuff um peter's like got this whole acts 10 acts 12 thing going on acts 11 at the top half the bottom half of acts 11 is really connected to acts 13 which is where we're going right now and so we're going to go bottom half acts 11 acts 13. uh good message where we're going to land in acts 13 if you haven't watched same level same grace yet uh, you need to do that. But thanks for being here. Uh, that's a good start, that message. Same level, same grace. If you haven't watched it, do that. If not, let's get it. You ready? Here we go. We're going to dive into this extension. I kind of want to just set this up, the basics. Uh, basically, a bunch of people are coming to Jesus in Antioch. This is, this is in Syria, Antioch. There's Pisidian Antioch and there's Syria, Antioch. So in Antioch, in Syria, uh, the, the apostles uh, are hearing about it and they're like, whoa, bunch of people coming to know Jesus because some men from Cyrene came down. They're sharing the gospel and Cyprus sharing the gospel. So Barnabas, if you see on the map here, is in Jerusalem. They send him up. They're like, you need to go see what's going on here. So they're checking that out. They want him to be an encouragement there. And then Barnabas gets there and he's like, sheesh, I need Paul because Paul has a specific uh, call on his life to speak to the Gentile people, which is where they're at. So he's like, I need to go get Paul. So it says in Acts 11, verse 25, that then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. He's about to be called Paul. Remember, Saul of Tarsus originally. So Saul's just hanging on Tarsus, his old stomping grounds, preaching. And when he found him, Barnabas finds him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. I want you to see that, that couple words here for a whole year. The reason I highlight that is because I think people so fast want to either be used by God or produce something or Excel or whatever it is. But what we're about to see in Acts 13 here in a little bit, Paul and Barnabas, they're going to be sent as apostles. They're going to start missionary journeys. It's going to be crazy. Tons of people are going to get saved. But we just see it and we think that it just happened quickly. But we forget that for a whole year, they were already building in Antioch before they ever were going to be sent and used. And even before that, I'm going to highlight here in a little bit, too, that they were sent on a mission by the church where they were proven faithful on that mission before also they were sent in Acts 13. Because it's going to look like a spiritual moment. If you read Acts 13, it's like they were ministering to the Lord and the Holy Spirit was like, set apart these guys. And yeah, that can happen. But we for also forget that before David ever became, as an example, king, he was faithful in the pasture for a while. And I think we see moves of God. We go, this should just happen quick. God's going to do this quick in me. He's going he's to find me in the pasture. He's going to use me. Yeah, if you're faithful in the pasture for a while. In this case, for a whole year, they're just teaching the church there in Antioch before they're ever going to get sent in Acts 13. Let me just finish off this section here in Acts 11. The disciples... Were first called Christians at Antioch. The, the the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. That word "called" is huge. I break that down. The message, same level, same grace. Check it there. Um, the idea that they were called that they didn't give themselves that name. They were called that. So I won't get into that. But what I want to get into a little bit is the historical background of where this name came from. They were first called Christians in Antioch. The origin of the name. Christian that they were given. It's connected to the household of the Emperor Augustus. Okay. So the Emperor Augustus had his officials and they would go out and they would represent him. They'd come back and report all that they had seen. Well, these officials were referred to as Augustani. If I'm saying that right, Augustani was like the name that they were given, that they were referred to as. Well, when people started seeing how the disciples Represented Christ, it was a parallel to them of how these officials represented the emperor. So, as they were called Augustani, representatives of the emperor, very much showing off King Augustus, as they were then called Augustani. The parallel was made that these people, the disciples, believers in Jesus, were representing Christ well. So, what do you think they did? So, as they were called Augustani, they were called. How you say it? Christiani. That's, I think, how you'd say it. Later became Christian. Christiani. has an I at the end, and I don't know. It's just hard to pronounce all of these different words because it's not the same as English. So there was this parallel between the way that these officials represented the king, the emperor, and how Christians, believers, disciples at the time, how they represented Christ, the king. And so they took on this name Christian, although as it really meant... Initially, it was said to kind of mock them, hurt them, be against them. They're thinking, listen, if it is perceived by people that want to call us this, that when they see us, the way we act, the way we talk, that it's like Christ, call us that. Call us by his name. So historically, this is where this came from, connected to the Emperor Augustus. Obviously, we want to be connected to Jesus. They saw that... What was told about Jesus and the way they were acting was the same. And this kind of comes from this idea of Acts chapter 4. Peter and John, after they healed the lame beggar, what does it say? Verse 13. It says that the people there, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. When we take on this name Christian, we want people to take note that the reason we're acting like, talking like, being like, christ a christian because we've been with him we've spent time with him so we can show people what he looks like let's let's continue here in in chapter 11 it can it continues and let's start at verse 27 so during this time some prophets came down from jerusalem to antioch and one of them named agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. Now, we're not going to talk a lot about Agabus. We could, we're going to see him again in Caesarea next chapter 21. So we'll get there later in an extension to break him down because it's cool here. But I just think this idea, like it says that um, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them is Agabus. I always ask the question, how do you know whether or not somebody's a prophet? How do you know whether or not somebody is operating in the prophetic what did he say was going to happen he said that there was going to be a severe famine well it says the verse continues that the disciples as each was able decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in judea this is like the first kind of like love offering that's like what we'd call it today right that was being taken and this they did sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So they knew that a famine was going to happen because Agabus said. They decided to provide the funds, get it ready. They took it to the church. How do you know whether Agabus is a prophet or not? Because what he prophesied came true. That's how you know. How do you know whether somebody's operating the prophetic? Is if they say something's going to happen and it happens, they're operating the prophetic. Now, again, sometimes we can get this wrong. Sometimes we can, um, (laughs) you know, just Eat some bad sushi or, you know, get it wrong. But the point is, the way that you'll know if somebody's operating the prophetic is if they say there's gonna be a famine, there's not a famine, they ain't operating the prophetic. They they're doing their own thing. Some people just want to get attention and things like that. But some people, they are truly hearing from the Holy Spirit. And the way you know is you test it in this way. The famine happened just like you said. So Paul and Barnabas, before they are ever sent out to be apostles, this verse right here, this section where it says that sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul is the setup for Acts 13 when they're going to be doing that. Why? They're about to be traveling on missionary journeys. This is their testing ground right now to be traveling to take away the financial gifts to all the different churches, number one. Number two, they're being, before they can be entrusted with the high calling to be an apostle and travel on missionary journeys, they're first being tested to see if they can be trusted with the finances of the church. They're being given the finances and seeing if they can be faithful and trustworthy with a little with these finances to see if they can be faithful and trustworthy with a lot. The next time that we're gonna see Paul and Barnabas mention is in Acts 12. So basically the end of Acts 11 is this whole kind of setup here. Acts 12, the beginning is gonna go talking about Peter, but the end of Acts 12, verse 25, Let me read it is where we see them again. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, meaning they're delivering the help to the churches, the finances, because of the famine, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Um, So The whole John also called Mark thing. We're going to get into that in another extension. That's Acts 15 verses like 36 to 41. John Mark's a big conversation piece, so we'll get to that later. But what I do want to focus on real quick is understanding this verse right here is the transition piece because because the beginning of Acts 12 is about Peter. So this verse is going to transition us into Acts 13. The reason that's important is the storyline here, it's going to transition us from the story of Peter and the church at Jerusalem to the story of Paul and the missionary journeys. The next time we're going to hear Peter talked about is in Acts 15 with the council at Jerusalem. Besides that, we don't hear him talk about it again. Everything from this point on, the first half of Acts is the story of Peter. The whole rest of it is the story of Paul. This verse, Acts 12, 25 is that transitional piece. One thing I want you to just note here, only because there's a little bit of controversy, and I like to just share different people's thoughts. It's not huge. I'm not getting the weeds a little bit. But this verse says that they returned from Jerusalem. When people are trying to like chart on maps and stuff, missionary journeys or where Paul traveled or things like that, this becomes a little bit difficult because it says they returned from Jerusalem, if you like, there's like little letters a lot of times digitally in the Bible next to it, if you click it, it from can also mean to. Because some translations say that they returned to Jerusalem and others say that they returned from Jerusalem. I'm not gonna get in the weeds of that because there's actually, believe it or not, off of one word, there's a ton of research that you can find of what people think, what they say about it. The bottom line of what you need to understand, so I don't go on some rabbit trail, is either way you look at it, you need to understand that they went on a mission to carry money, uh, uh, from Antioch in Syria to Jerusalem at some point. They brought it to the church there. They head back to Antioch. Now, the map could be a little bit different depending on what translation you're reading or what scholars say, but the simple truth is this. They took money from one place to another place. They come back to Antioch. Verse 25 of Acts 12, although it's one verse, it's a huge transitional piece in the book of Acts from Peter now to Paul. Peter being kind of the face of the church, now Paul being the face of the church. And it takes us from Acts 11.30, when we're ending off chapter 11, and it transitions us to Acts 13 verse 1. Let's look at that. Here we go. Now we're going to be primarily in Acts 13. I'll have some supporting text, but Acts 13 verse 1. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers who are they? Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So you get these five leaders of the church at Antioch, one church, but it was probably five different, let's say like campuses, we'd call it today in the church world, or congregations. Each one of them would have led a congregation, most likely, but it made up one church, the church in Antioch. I want to tell you a little bit about these leaders. Barnabas, he's referred to as the son of encouragement in Acts chapter 4. He is from the island of Cyprus. There's more about him if you uh, watch the extension Where's Saldo or One People. Either of those, you can learn more about Barnabas. Saul, we talk about him a lot, right? He is going to become Paul right here in Acts 13, from here on out, he's referred to as Paul, but Saul of Tarsus, we've talked about him quite a bit. We will more, so I'll just keep it short. Manean this dude's interesting. He had a close connection with, uh, it says here, brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Tetrarch is King Herod, we know him as here in scripture. He was brought up with him. What does that mean? It's believed that Manan and Herod the Tetrarch were like foster brothers brought up together. They were nursed by the same woman. Uh, it would have been, I can't remember exactly what they called it, but it had been a, a woman there that was set up just to nurse all of these different babies. So King Herod and Manan were nursed by the same woman. Isn't it crazy that the same dude that is brought up with King Herod becomes one of the dudes that's now helping run the church in Antioch. So dope. Then the other two men that I want to focus in on is Simeon of Niger and Lucius of Cyrene. Not only were these the men that brought the gospel to the Gentiles there in Antioch, but they were also the ones that helped plant the church in Antioch because it says men from Cyrene. So we don't know exactly how many, but we know here's two of them, Simon of Niger and Lucius of Cyrene. They're both from Cyrene. I'll break that down more They not only helped bring the gospel to Antioch, but they helped plant the church there in Antioch that now these five are leading that we just referenced. Got it? Okay, I want to give you a little bit of perspective, though. I want to lean into one of these dudes, Simeon. This is so sick. I'm going to try not to cry. I was crying when I was writing this. Simeon is referenced in this part here as Simeon of Niger. That was like his nickname given him. But he's also referenced in Mark 15, verse 21. If you've read the Gospels, you would remember this account that a certain man from Cyrene, okay, because we know that Simeon was from Cyrene, Simon, okay, now I gotta be able to prove the fact Simeon and Simon are the same person. I'll get there. He's the father of Alexand- Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country. So on this specific day, Mark records that he's passing by on his way in the country. And what does it say that they had him do? And they forced him to carry. The cross. Do you remember this moment when Jesus couldn't carry his cross and they grabbed somebody and they brought him over and they made him carry Jesus' cross with them? That's this dude. Simeon, aka Simon, okay, and then references Simeon and Lucius, they're both from Cyrene. But Simeon, and referenced here in Mark's gospel, this recording here gives more insight that Simeon is actually Simon. Uh, I'll prove that a little bit more here in a second. But first, I want to just try to imagine this moment. Can you imagine how this moment, when Simon, aka, as we know him in Acts 13, Simeon, is forever changed, marked by this moment, carrying Jesus' cross with him. That the same man that carried Jesus' cross now becomes the same man that is going to lead the church in Antioch. Planted it brought the gospel there, planted it. You know he was changed or he would have never continued to go this far and now lead the church. Lead a church that didn't exist but was planted out of nowhere. All these people are coming to know Jesus and he's leading it. As Jesus wore the marks on his back from the whipping, Simon, Simeon, was marked as well in this moment. Not by a whip, not by blood, but by the love of Jesus. Forever changed. He is now leading the church here in Antioch. Now, we know that it's him because in Mark 15, verse 21, it references that he's the follower of Alexander and Rufus. Later, when Paul is writing to the Romans, we'd read it as the book of Romans, Paul writes in Romans 16, verse 13, he says, greet Rufus. So who were the two sons? Alexander and Rufus. So Paul says, greet Rufus, chosen the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. So not only did Simeon and Paul then lead the church of Antioch, Simeon who carried the cross was there literally with Jesus in that fashion. Paul, remember, who in Acts 9, the road to Damascus, saw Jesus. But we see the closeness. It it says, greet Rufus, chosen the Lord, and his mother, who has been my, Paul says, my mother too. So that means they had a closeness. They like spent time together. So as Simon had been side by side with Jesus carrying the, the cross and Paul face to face with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Can you imagine they spent time together and they talked about it? They shared their encounter and their moment with Jesus. They're both learning from one another. Later we, we'd see now here, it says, it doesn't say greet Simon or greet Simeon. Why didn't he write that? Most likely Simeon would have passed away. So now all that's left we see here is the, the rest of the family, the mom. And for sure, we don't know exactly what, exactly what happened to Alexander, but Rufus is there. So Paul writes, and all the people he could have greeted, he gives a list, but he greets Rufus, Simon's son, and Simon's wife, who he said was like a mother to me, which means they spent time together. Now, if Simon died, Simeon died, most likely then we could put together that the rest of the family ends up moving to Rome, becoming a part of the church there in Rome. So when Paul writes in Romans to the church there, he's including now Simeon's family. So dope. That he who carried the cross with Jesus is now leading the church there in Antioch. And you see the ties later in the book of Romans when Paul references them. So Simeon helps start this amazing work in Antioch. From there then, Paul and Barnabas take that work in Antioch and they launch it through the Holy Spirit and the message of Jesus into the known world. You can see on the map here that Paul, Barnabas, and remember they picked up John Mark, they traveled from Antioch to Seleucia. Then they sailed to Salamis, which is on like the edge of Cyprus. And they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. Now, a lot of crazy stuff happened at Paphos. I'll just tell you, God has a big but. If you don't know what that means, it's because you got to watch the message. Same level, same grace, but that message will help you a lot to know what happened on the island. I want to continue though past that point here in Acts 13, and you can see it on the map that from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia where John left them to return to Jerusalem. I told you I'm going to do an extension just on Acts 15, verses 36 to 41. You see that phrase? John left them. John left them to return to Jerusalem. I can't get into that. That's so much. It's really crazy what happened between Paul and Barnabas because of John leaving. That's what we're going to talk about later. The map continues. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch or Pisidia however you want to say it. Pisidia was a Roman colony that was a part of the the overall province of Galatia. That's where they are here. So it says that when they get there to Pisidian Antioch, that on the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. And after reading from the law and the prophets, the the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them saying, brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. So it's like an open invitation. Standing up... (laughs) I laugh because like, I just imagine Paul, he's like, okay, my time. Standing up, it's like cracks his neck, <laughs> cracks his knuckles. He's like, listen, y'all asked for it. <laughs> Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship the Lord, listen to me. He's like, here I go. Listen up, somebody. He begins to walk them through the story of what they knew, right? The story of their ancestors from Egypt to the wilderness, to the promised land. He told them what they already knew. They knew about the time of the judges and then they no longer wanted a judge, but they wanted a king. They wanted you know, they wanted King Saul. That's the one they picked and God was like, that's not really what I want, but okay, have King Saul. I you get get what you want. You know that you can continue to ask the Lord for something that he doesn't want for you, but he'll give you what you want eventually. You understand this? So they get King Saul. Let me read where he continues from there. Verse 22. This is his, like his sermon. After removing Saul... He made David their king. Remember, David, important. This is an important piece right here. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do because Saul didn't listen. He disobeyed. Two things I teach my kids, listen and obey. That's what David was willing to do. And from this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel Israel the Savior, Jesus. So he's linking David to Jesus as he had as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John, this is John the Baptist, preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you are looking for, because they thought he's the Messiah. But there is one coming after me, whose sandals I'm unworthy to untie. I can't, I can't even come close to Jesus. He doesn't know it's Jesus yet. His cousin, John the Baptist, and Jesus are cousins. He has no idea that's who going to be, but he's like, listen, whoever's going to show up, the Messiah, I know I'll know when he comes, and he did. Behold, the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. He's like, I can't even untie his sandals. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, Paul says, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. Paul continues to make it clear that the people and the rulers of Jerusalem, when Jesus showed up on the scene, they rejected him. They rejected him. They sentenced him to death on a cross. But Paul's favorite thing to talk about, God raised him from the dead. Verse 36. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, man, that's such a powerful verse. When David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. Are you serving God's purpose in your generation? Like we're all going to fall asleep, meaning we're all going to die at some point. But can it be said of all of us that we served God's purpose in our generation for our generation? Because after David did that, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead, this is our Jesus, he did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. He's like, listen, the law can't save you. The law can show you where you are condemned and need saving, but the law can't save you. It's only the love of Jesus that can save you. It's not the law But it's the love. The love of Jesus sets you free. The love of Jesus saves you and forgives you of your sins. That's why I think we love to quote John 3.16. But John 3.17 is actually very important because it says that for God did not send his son, meaning Jesus, the father sent his son Jesus into the world. He didn't do it to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Why? Because the law can't save. It's only the love of Jesus that can save. The law will show you where you are condemned but the love will show you where you can be forgiven. So it's, it's really interesting to me how Paul preaches here, how he breaks this down. If you really start studying all the different styles of the preaching and messages and, and speeches and stuff in the book of Acts, you look at Peter, Paul, James, Stephen, the different ones in Acts. It's really interesting if you contrast them all. Specifically, if you look at like Acts 7 with Stephen and Acts 13 with Paul, they're so different. The contrast is, is, is pretty far from one another because Stephen centralizes his message on the age of the patriarchs and Moses. But Paul really centralizes it more on like the, the monarchy, the kingship, and David because he wants to be able to go from David. It's called the Davidic line if you read like Matthew 1. And he wants to be able to journey it from David down to the bloodline of Jesus, that Jesus is a king. And the Messiah. He's from a a bloodline, a kingship, a monarchy that is a king of this earth, but greater. He's a king of heaven. He's a Messiah that came to set us free because he is a king of heaven. Stephen's message too, though, it aims to destroy, I'll use the word, destroy any false assumptions that the Jews had. But while Stephen in Acts 7 wants to destroy those false assumptions, Paul's aim in Acts 13 is to draw, I'll say. Stephen aimed to destroy. Paul aimed to draw people to the message of Jesus, draw people to the love of Jesus, draw people to what Jesus came to do. So he presents it very differently. Stephen's like very aggressive, and Paul is very gentle as he's drawing people to Jesus. Four ways you can find that he drew people to Jesus, all the listeners. Number one, He appeals to their senses, that people actually saw Jesus. He talks about the witnesses that actually experienced and saw Jesus. Number two, he points to verifiable written material. That like the scriptures here, people that saw things, they recorded what was seen and they wrote it down so we would have it. Number three, he aligns with principles that the listeners would agree with. I think sometimes when people start debating, they go too quickly to where we are different and where we disagree, but Paul started with what do we have in common? What do we both believe? Cause then for, he could come to that payoff moment where he brings it to the relevant facts, right? Right. Reliable witnesses, reliable written ev- evidence and reliable facts. So that Jesus was, uh, um, innocent. That's huge. That Pontius Pilate executed him, his death and burial He connects that to the death and burial of David, the death and burial of Jesus. And then the payoff is he brings it to the power of the resurrection of Jesus. That's how he begins to draw people. And it says in verse 42 that as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, it must have been effective because the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. And when the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism, they followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. They're like, man, this is so good. And catch this. And on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. You have to understand that in Pisidian Antioch, there's Galatians there, Phrygians there, Greeks living there, Jews living there, like Roman army veterans are living there. So at that time, the time of Paul, the city and surrounding villages of Pisidia, they have a population of nearly 100,000 people. Let me read it again. You seen that? On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered. I can't even get over 3,000 people in my city together. Nearly 100,000 people are gathering to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ preached. Talk about effectiveness and what they're doing here. But I understand this, being a preacher of the gospel, that whenever Jesus gets a victory, (laughs) I'll tell you, whenever Jesus gets a vic, the devil gets ticked. Whenever Jesus gets a V, the devil gets teed. I just, I'm being dumb, just rhyming. But every time, this is how it works. Verse 45, the gospel's spreading. This is crazy. Nearly the whole city's hearing it. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had, we had to speak the word of God to you first. And so like, listen, Paul and Barnabas are like, okay, shut up. I'm done with you. We had to speak it. Since you reject it, we gave you the chance first and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. Now we turn to the Gentiles. Was he saying? He's saying, listen, Jesus told us we had to go to the Jews first. But if you ain't going to listen, okay, peace out. It's time to preach to the Gentiles, baby. Now, if you track the missionary journey, he's just going, boom, 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 going and preaching to the Gentiles. He's like, the Gentiles got to hear the gospel. And it says in verse 48 that when the Gentiles heard this, they were like, let's go. They were glad and honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. Remember, Jesus' victory is Satan's tickery. I don't know, I can't think of another rhyme, (laughs) right? Like, you know, the devil coming for it every time. It says that that's happened with the Gentiles, but the Jewish leaders. They incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and they expelled them from their region. And Jesus told the disciples to do this, what you'll see here. So they shook the dust off their feet. Jesus is like, hey, when you go to a city, when you go to a house, people don't listen, shake the dust off your feet and go to the next city. So that's what Paul and Barnabas did. They shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and they went to Iconium, the next city. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The joy of the gospel. There's not like enough of that today, right? The joy of the gospel, the joy of evangelism. Here, remember, they were expelled. They were, it says it, stirred up persecution. The joy of persecution. The joy of continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. The joy of being called a Christian first at Antioch. Joy. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I think that there's something about allowing ourselves to take on a fullness of joy that simultaneously takes on a fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Evidence of joy in our lives is evidence of Jesus. Joy is Jesus. Jesus is joy. And a fruit of the Spirit, evidence of having joy, is casting a strong message to anyone listening, anyone that can see, that Jesus is Lord of our life. Joy incites to everybody. I'm a Christian. You don't need to tell people. They're going to want to call you it because you're going to look like Christ. And I don't know who's listening. This is like off script a little bit, but you've been trying to live your life to be happy. But you need to live your life to live in the fullness of joy because that's where your strength comes from. Meaning this, Lord, thank you for the trial I'm going through right now. Joy comes out of that. In this case, for them, persecution, being expelled, sent off. Lord, thank you for the the situation of debt I'm going through. Thank you for the the pain physically I'm going through. Not that, Lord, I actually want it, but thank you that you're with me in all of it. Thank you that I'm not alone. I'm gonna still praise you. I'm still gonna still live for you. I'm still gonna bless your name. I can still, even though right now what I'm experiencing is awful, I will still declare that I have tasted and seen and I continually taste and see that the Lord is good. Joy is Jesus. I want to pray joy over you, just as I close. That you would like truly right now experience what they did at the origin. They were filled with joy. I don't know who needs this. I hope somebody, though, hears this, receives this at the right time, that you can experience just such a fullness of joy. You ready to receive? Wherever you are, just receive this. Holy Spirit, I speak fullness of joy over whoever is listening right now. That God, whatever they are experiencing, wherever they find themselves, Whatever they're going through, I thank you that you never leave or forsake. They're not alone. Holy Spirit, come right now and fill every space of their life. Thoughts, protection around their drive right now, whenever when they're listening to this in the morning on a drive, in the car, or on a break, or whatever it is, Lord. As they hear this, Holy Spirit, you are... Not only present, but you are now actively moving, working, I declare in the name of Jesus. Fill them with joy. Jesus, fill them with your Holy Spirit. If you could do it in Acts 13, I know you can do it right here in 2023. Do it. I thank you, Jesus. Bless them. I know that we don't always experience happiness. Our days aren't always bright. But we choose joy today. Because we declare that Jesus is joy. We thank you for that. Bless each one that's listening right now. In the name of Jesus. Amen. My love.